Welcome to the PEBC podcast. My name is Michelle Jones, and I will be hosting our series on phenomenal teaching. This series is a collection of conversations with various authors, classroom teachers, education leaders, and staff developers whose work has influenced the PEBC teaching framework. In each episode, we'll explore how the strands of planning, community, workshop, thinking strategies, discourse, and assessment cultivate student agency and understanding for each and every learner. Thank you so much for listening in. Today, PEBC Lab host Jana Durbin is joining us to discuss how the instructional elements of the PEBC teaching framework come together to cultivate agency and understanding for young learners. Jana is a multi-age primary teacher who is passionate about curiosity, students finding their voices, and advocating for the brilliance of young learners. Jana, thank you so much for joining me today. Let's jump right into your classroom and your work with students. Do you mind sharing your beliefs and vision with our listeners today? Oh, Michelle, thank you so much for asking. Um, I would love to, I'm so happy to be here today um, to share uh, my thinking around student learning and kids. Uh, I have two main beliefs that I hold on to and I've, I've been trying to keep um, authentic in my classroom for the last 17 years and then a gift that I try to give to myself and my students that I'd like to share as well. So my first main belief, as you already stated, is that um, student voice and their thinking is the most important and should be um, the most prevalent in the classroom. And I try really hard day to day to make sure that um, they're speaking the most, sharing their thinking the most, um, talking with each other and helping to clarify misunderstandings with each other. I mean, I'm there mainly as a listener and a facilitator and to notice and name what they're doing. Um, my other belief is that they're there to work for themselves and their work is not for me. It's not um, because I asked them to do something. Um, and it's not for me to say whether I like it or not. It's for them. Um, I want them to I want them to really look at themselves from yesterday and try to grow um, who they are from who they were. And it's not for me, it's for them. It's their education. Uh, so that to me uh, really makes them, be the, the owner of, of their educational path in life. Wow. So when you think about like fostering ownership for kids, you have that core belief that all learners, regardless of age, are capable of amazing things. Oh, totally agree. I mean, I, they come to me, you know, I've taught kindergarten for so long this year. I'm teaching first and second, but I mean, they come to me really having had so much done for them. And I'm this other adult who thinks you're capable of doing so much for yourself. And they get to experience that. And I think a lot of adults, we think we want to do for them. Um, but the pride and the, the confidence you see in little kids when they do for themselves to that they really feel capable, it's, it's beautiful. Yeah. So when we think about, you know, you've had a long history with the PEBC as a lab host, and our PEBC teaching framework was just published in Phenomenal Teaching by Wendy Ward-Hoffer, and we're all just really excited to dive into that text and explore those strands. Um, so for our listeners who aren't familiar with the framework, the strands are planning, community, workshop, thinking strategy, 
discourse and assessment. So here's my big question for you today. When you think about your work in the classroom, I know from being in your space and in your classroom and seeing you work with kids that all of those strands come together and create this amazing environment for learning and curiosity and inquiry. But for you personally, which strand gives you the most energy or which strand are you most passionate about? Um, I have been the most passionate about discourse for almost my entire career now. I feel like an action researcher every single day going into my classroom and, and watching and listening to kids talk to each other. It's, it's endlessly interesting. And um, I just, when I think I figured it out, I get a new group that does things completely different. And it's, so it's fun to get to uh, layer on discourse and conversational skills with each new group every year and see how they play out for that, that group's identity. Um, yeah, it, it really started back with Sue Kempton and I went to her classroom and Ellen, and this is where you'll need a fact checker because this quote is not going to be <laughs> completely, <laughs> but um, Ellen had said to us, uh, and I, I'm going to throw out some dates um, that she said, I think in 2008, kindergartners were coming to school and they were able to um, create a five word sentence just naturally without being prompted. Um, and that was the average. Uh, and then by 2012, it had dropped to three words. Oh, my gosh. That was such a light bulb moment for me. Um, I went back to my classroom that very next day and started really working on how can I help kids have academic conversations that are going to lead them, even in kindergarten, to having um, a lifelong skill that's going to help them as adults. So when you think about that research around the mean length utterance, and I remember when Ellen shared that research with us, it was mind-blowing. It was, yeah. oh my gosh, where is language going? That's a little time, too. So when you went back to your classroom and started working with your kids very intentionally regarding language development and discourse, what did you notice? Well, I started thinking about technology, obviously, and um, and the impacts of that on little people. Um, and also this idea of all these companies are looking for collaborators and curious people and creative people who can throw ideas at each other and make mistakes and talk through it. And yet where we're headed in life is less and less conversation and discussion and um, actual real intentional learning on how to do that. And when I really started paying attention, I did start noticing that I knew kids needed to learn how to read. I knew kids needed to learn how to write and do math and science, but I thought kids came to the classroom talking because they do. They talk at you all the time. They talk at things all the time and they talk at each other all the time. But what they don't naturally know how to do is talk with each other and um, and and talk on, on a topic together that someone else might be interested in, but that they could be a part of and, and how to come up with theories and 
synthesize. Um, that's not something kids naturally come to school with anymore. And I think it's important. I think we need to start really directly teaching that. So when you think about the why behind discourse for you, it's really about conversation skills, collaboration, being able to explain your thinking, um, going into depth, and also supporting readers and young readers and writers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you've given us a great picture of the rationale. But now take us into your classroom. What's you know? Let's talk about the how and the what. You know, you are a primary expert. You taught kindergarten for a number of years. This year, you had a one-two combination class. What does discourse look like and sound like at the beginning of the year? And what are some of the structures or processes that you put in place to scaffold that high academic and conversational discourse that you are that you strive for for your kids? Well, you know, there's lots of different ways to think about discourse. Um, but for me, it was how can we all be together for about 20 minutes? Because that's about as long as little people can, you know, sit and be thoughtful um, and have um, an academic conversation with with high levels of vocabulary and um, and a way to work through misconceptions because little people come to school with a lot of schema that I like to say is crisscrossed and we just want to uncrisscross that together. Um, And also, how can I not be the giver of all the information? How can we all see ourselves as uh, smart, intelligent people who have something to share? Um, So we do a a time each day um, where we sit in big group. And and this year, actually, they broke into smaller think tanks, which was amazing and fun um, because they were older and they could handle that. So we sit and we learn how to be with one another. They're great at taking turns with talking and they really do understand that from the beginning uh, to not talk over each other, but they all just blurt their schema about what they know at each other. Um, So I always felt like my job was to sit back and be the observer. I was the process observer and I would pipe in now and then um, to say, you know, a conversation is a back and forth and a sharing of ideas. And it's um, not just how can I get what I need to say in. Um, and there's there has to be pauses to let other people talk and speak. And um, let's notice uh, when we've spoken too much and it's time for us to do some listening because that's a huge part of a conversation. Uh, and they they grow and they learn and the, the more you notice a name for them and the more you see kids doing uh, what you're letting them know what adult conversationalists do, they start taking it on and all of a sudden, you are out of the picture and a whole bunch of kids are having really great conversations about the most amazing things. I would always sit back and think, gosh, kids are talking about this in college right now. And here you guys are talking about covalent bonds and extinction theories and um, the magnetic solar winds coming at us and, and making the Northern Lights. It's, it's amazing what they will do. So I love the way you 
helped us think about scaffolding that at first you just watch just like, what do they do? What are they already capable of? And then it's noticing, naming the attributes of a great conversation and then providing those coaching moments and those reminders of what a conversation might look like and sound like. I'm thinking that a lot of our listeners are wondering, well, what are they going to talk about? Yeah. This is 20 minutes of kids talking either in a whole group or if they're a little bit you know, more developed, maybe in some small think tanks. What do you do or how do you provide great fodder for conversation? That's a great question. Um, so, you know, I want my classroom to feel welcoming and I want kids to have a lot of choice. And um, I, I also want kids to learn the power of research and reading um, day one. So you can't just sit down and say, what are we going to talk about today? That really, you're right. It really doesn't go very far. Um, so, so prior to our conversation and coming down, as we uh, come into the classroom, we do a soft start and everyone has uh, a bag of books that they have selected from our classroom library. And most of these books are honestly coffee table books, um, but the pictures are so rich and captivating that it keeps them enthralled for at least 20 minutes. And as the year goes on, they'll start really balking at the time being up because they just want to keep learning about the world um, because they are so curious and the world is so amazing. Um, so, they spend the first 20 minutes researching. They have post-it notes. They're um, coding their thinking around questions or this looks amazing or I'm inferring here or new schema, like light bulb, wow moment. Um, and then they're invited to bring their research down. If it was really that amazing for them, it's gotta be that amazing for the rest of us. So, so kids are allowed to bring down a research book and I, just because I was the teacher, I, I chose the researcher every day. And that was how I kept track of um, who had shared and who hadn't. Uh, I do like to keep track while the kids are talking of who's talking, who's not talking, who's sharing. Um, I do want us all to be cognizant of each other as a community um, to make sure that we are getting everyone's thoughts and voices um, in our morning routine. So yes, great question. That's how we did it. So um, it was kind of like that researcher's best learning that day was something we all talked about. That's so exciting and it's so authentic. I mean, think about these young learners coming into the classroom, excited to start their day, grabbing their book bags that they've self-selected books that are around the world and around things that they're interested in. I know from being in your classroom, the topics range from you know, rocks and minerals to dinosaurs to kittens. And it really is driven by student interest. They have that time to dive into those coffee table books or even some early readers and find out as much as they can about whatever they're interested in. And during that time, you're welcoming students, checking in with students, conferring, asking them, you know, what is your schema telling you? What do you think is important? What are you inferring? And so after that, that soft start, if you will, that's when everyone gathers on your carpet. And that's when you 
very carefully facilitate kind of the the backside of that conversation. Yeah, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah. This year you branched out a little bit and you went from the whole group, which was your more of your kindergarten structure into some small think tanks. Let's wrap up our conversation today by um, sharing a little bit with us about that really that gradual release for kids and that release of control for teachers is that when you have 20 some little people on the carpet with you, the facilitation job is probably a little bit more manageable. However, when they're off in their own individual think tanks, the facilitator role changes a little bit, as does the roles of the speakers and listeners. So can you share a little bit with us about how did you how did you get your students to that point of independence and ownership where they could run their own conversations? Um, it was such a great transition this year to try that. Uh, I do really think we hold on to things, um, all people, out of fear a lot of times. Uh, and I try to keep reminding myself that everything is better on the other side of it and that um, kids are so capable. They'll go so farther beyond what you expect if you trust them. And um, that gift I was talking about earlier is really the gift of time. So if you can give kids time to muck around, not goof off, but muck around with being successful at something, um, they will rise to that. So I just was watching this bigger group now of first and second graders. Many of them I looped up with. So I had them last year. So I had done the groundwork. They were experts at talking in the big group. Um, And it was getting kind of old. I mean, I felt it too. Uh, They didn't need that big group facilitation anymore. What they actually needed was now to go muck around on their own and try this out for themselves. So we broke up into think tanks and then we changed these groups all the time. So they had opportunities with different personalities. Um, And I think the best way that we kind of got this going was when you think about yourself in the bigger group, what's your personal conversational goal? What do you need to get better at? And then take that now into your think tank and share that with this little group of people. And I'm also going to write it down. Um, And we're going to keep checking in on that. And, And here's here's what it sounds like and here's what it looks like if you're maybe not living up to the goal you set for yourself. Like if you if you talk too much and you want to listen more and you get to your think tank and you talk the whole time, how can the other people in the group remind you in a beautiful, caring way that your goal is to listen more? Um, so we we worked through how to how to make a goal and then how to hold each other to those goals. Um, and then we also worked through what's your little group working on together, which might be different than your own goal. And we always um, came together once a week to share out how we were doing as little groups, how we were doing it for ourselves. Um, 
It was so exciting to hear everybody knew exactly. You know, you go through and you think, oh, they're not going to be really honest. Kids are so honest about who they are. They know exactly who they are. Every I call on a kid and they say, yep, I need to speak up more. I never talk in group. Like, oh, I I know that's, yes, that's my hope for you too. And um, so that was really the best way to transition into those smaller think tanks. And then I kind of became like a a department head, I suppose. (laughs) They, They were all these little management groups that I just, I kind of popped around and listened to. And, and I did um, a lot of, of what PBC does when, when teachers come to visit, I would sit close to the group with my back to them and just say, you know, you guys just, you're doing what you're doing and I'm collecting up research and observing. Well, Jana, thank you so much for bringing that strand of discourse to life for us. Um, not only did you and give us some of ideas about why discourse is important or why it matters for kids. But you also really elevated the role of choice, um, having something important to talk about, having support with conversation, the mucking around, the opportunity to become more successful at something because we've practiced it, and the gift of time. How kids need time in order to, to become better conversationalists and to really access the power of discourse. So as we wrap up today, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners around the area of discourse or any other component on the PEBC teaching framework? Um, I I guess I do. I have maybe um, one or two things I'd love to share. I think uh, the final outcome of having a lot of conversation in your classroom is kids at a very young age learning how to bring their authentic selves to the classroom, which um, I think is so important. I wish um, in my own life that I had been able to practice that from an early age. Um, So I think it gives them a lot of confidence and um, it lets them start learning who they are and uh, what gifts they have to bring and maybe what goals they want to work on. Um, I also think that having a discourse rich environment helps kids who struggle with skills-based work because that's a place to shine. Everyone has opinions. Everyone has ideas. Everyone can share those. Um, And you can be the expert on geology and still um, be figuring out how to put words together. Um, So it, it really does create a community where where you're important for your thinking and your ideas and you're not, it's not just what you can do on a piece of paper or on a worksheet. Um, and I would say the last bit is about the book. Uh, you know, getting back to phenomenal teaching, you know, the, the there's a title underneath, it's a guide for reflection and growth. Um, And Wendy did such a nice job of synthesizing uh, that continuum and all of this work. It's really a one-stop shop uh, for teachers. And, you know, I've been working on discourse in my classroom for a long, long time. And when I go to look at that continuum, I think, oh, I, I nailed that. You know, I'm always striving for that last part on the continuum, you know, 
advanced or beyond. And, and it, it changes year to year. And the really beautiful thing about it is that it's a support for me to see, oh yeah, I don't, I don't step into that space enough. Maybe I, I don't ever hit that piece of the continuum. And why am I not pushing myself? If I can ask kids to take risks, what's keeping me back from trying this out and letting kids take the lead on this piece of, of the continuum? And it's even in the discourse part. I looked at it the other day and I thought, oh gosh, I've never tried that. Thank you, Wendy, for writing that down. I can I can so I can look at that really easily, open it up and be like, yeah, that is what I'm working on next year to grow as a teacher. I need to step into some spaces. Um, so it's really is a, a nice culmination of of research and thinking and um, getting down to what's really important for kids to learn in the classroom. Jana, thank you so much. I mean, you just you know, elevated all of our thinking around discourse, but then you just left us with this great challenge, like this call to action to really you know, engage in self-reflection as educators and think about what's our next step? What's our next personal goal? So thank you. Thank you very, very much for joining us today. Oh, thank you so much. Well, this is such a pleasure and I am so, so proud and happy to be a part of PBC and this new podcast. It's amazing. Um, the book's amazing. And I, I, I feel, uh, I'm going to say one last thing. Um, I feel PBC and um, this book do for me what my beliefs and visions I hope to do for kids. They really do give me a voice and make me feel um, believed in. And so I just thank you so much. You're welcome, Jana. Thank you. Take care. Thank you for joining us today. We hope our time together bolstered your agency and understanding. PEBC is headquartered in Denver, Colorado, and works locally and nationally to cultivate agency, equity, and understanding, as described in Wendy Ward-Hoffer's newest book, Phenomenal Teaching. PEBC provides customized on-site professional development and coaching for schools and districts, facilitates a variety of institutes and seminars, and offers an array of online learning experiences for all educators. We also prepare new teachers via the PEBC Teacher Residency Program. Check us out at pebc.org. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn.